Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series is on the church and spiritual warfare. During this series, Kevin Connor's best-selling book, The Church in the New Testament, is available at 50% off as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org. Select monthly special. Two or three passages of scripture this morning. Let's turn first of all to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, we're going to uh, have a word, a brief word of prayer here, so let's uh, pray first of all. Father, we just thank you once again for your precious word, and we pray that the Holy Spirit will help us as we share together. We are always conscious of the fact, Lord, it's not by our might or by our power or even by our preaching and teaching, it's still by your Spirit. So we depend upon your Spirit to be Uh, to bridge the communication gap. Help us this morning, Father, as we commit the ministry of your word to your hands, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, uh, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Everybody say the whole armor of God. Let's say it again. The whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against uh, spiritual wickedness or literally wicked spirits in high or literally heavenly places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armour of God. Everybody say the whole armour of God again. One more time. But notice in verse uh, 13 he says, take unto you the whole armour of God. In verse 11 he says, put on the whole armour of God. So we take it, we have to put it on. So verse 13, take unto you the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as uh, as I ought to speak. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 through to 6. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 through to 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, everybody say weapons of our warfare. One more time. So in Ephesians, the emphasis is on the armour of God, the whole armour of God. In Corinthians, the emphasis is on the weapons. That's what we're talking about this morning, the armour and the weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And then one more verse from Jeremiah chapter 50. Jeremiah chapter 50. And uh, just a verse from here in application to our series together. Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 25. Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 25. The Lord has opened his armory, okay? The Lord has opened his armory, so put on the whole armor of God. So we have the thought of armory, the armor of God, and have brought forth the weapons, the weapons of our warfare, not carnal but mighty through God, and has brought forth the weapons of his indignation, armory and weapons, armory and weapons. For this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Pray that the Lord will bless his word to our hearts. Now, this morning uh, we have not exhausted the series that we've been on, but uh, I don't want to exhaust you either. So we're going to bring our series that we've been sharing on the church and spiritual warfare. Uh, we've been on it for about 10 weeks in all, uh, without uh, including the visiting ministries we've had. But uh, 10 weeks we've been on this series on the church and spiritual warfare. So we want to bring it to a, a close this morning of what we've been sharing. But I want to take just a uh, moment here. How many, and I don't want you to just do this for my sake, but uh, I just want you to be honest with me because, you know, Sunday by Sunday, uh, it takes hours and hours, as you realize, to prepare a word and you pray that it's the mind of God and that it's going to help people. Uh, how many really feel that this uh, series on the church and spiritual warfare has helped you in your own spiritual life? Hands up. How many? Well, that's good. Uh, those of you who didn't put your hands up, would you get hold of the tapes and listen to them again? Uh, and see if it will help you, okay? Because uh, sometimes it's good for you to put yourself in our position, those of us who minister the Word, you know, the hours and hours you spend in preparing the Word. Hope that you bridge the communication gap and hope that you have the mind of God and hope that you're not just giving information to the mind, but that you're communicating to the heart and to the spirit. That's always my desire because I'm not here just to fill in time and waste your time or waste my time, but really to help us to be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen. amen. I want just to uh, briefly summarise the sessions that we've been sharing together here. And in our series we've been looking at the church and spiritual warfare. So this is the uh, path we've been treading over these ten uh, sessions together. In our first uh, lesson we looked at spiritual warfare and that we are in a time of warfare and we particularly looked at uh, war in the book of Revelation, that the book of Revelation, the book of Ultimates, is actually a book of spiritual warfare. There is war in heaven and Satan wars against the Lord, the Lamb and uh, the church. A time of spiritual warfare. In our second session we looked at spiritual worship and we went through the seven uh, scenes of worship in the book of Revelation so that Revelation is a book of warfare and also a book of worship. In our third session together we saw the importance of keeping proper priorities here. We must be worshippers and warriors. First worshippers then warriors. If we are weak in, in worship we'll be weak in warfare. Uh, if we're strong in worship we'll be strong in, in warfare. Everybody said amen. So the balance of that, worshippers and warriors. David was a warrior, but David was also a worshipper. 
Then in our fourth session, we looked at the church, uh, the army of the Lord, and looked at various pictures of the church in the epistle to the Ephesians. We saw the church there as the body of Christ, uh, the temple of the Lord, the family of God, the bride of Christ, and so forth. These different pictures of the church, and the picture we took up is from Ephesians chapter 6, the church is the army of the Lord. In uh, session 5, we looked at Israel, uh, the nation of Israel, which was God's Old Testament army, and the three enemies that they had to overcome, uh, Egypt, the first phase of the war, then the wilderness, second phase of the war, and then Canaan, the third phase of the war. Uh, in our sixth session, we looked at overcoming the Egypt world and found out that together Israel as a nation, God's army, never, uh, never became overcomers, that generation, because in their hearts they're continually turning back to the Egypt world. In their hearts they're returning to Egypt. Then in uh, session number seven, we looked at the church and the world, and is the world squeezing the church into its mould? And we laid out very clearly that morning, I believe, ten areas of, of where we have to watch as a congregation, individually and corporately, that the world doesn't squeeze us into its mould. Number eight, the eighth session we looked at was overcoming the wilderness and the flesh and we saw the reason why Israel never overcame the wilderness and the sins of the flesh in the wilderness is because they never overcome in the first stage uh, of the Egypt world. In their hearts they're turning back to Egypt so how could they conquer the wilderness and the flesh uh, if they hadn't conquered the Egypt world? Then last Sunday we looked at principles of warfare in Canaan, uh, principles of spiritual warfare in Canaan uh, that we are to use in conquering uh, Satan and principalities and powers. And today we want to look at uh, Christian soldiers, armour and weapons, armour and weapons. So that's what we're looking at today. I'd like you to turn back to Ephesians chapter 6 then. And they're the two major areas that we want to look at in uh, our time to, uh, together this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. All right, now in our series that we've been looking at over the uh, weeks together, now we know that we are in spiritual warfare. Everybody said amen. There's a war on. Everybody say amen. And uh, we know what the war is about. We know who our enemies are. Everybody said amen again. All right, now the necessity is, is that we need to be clothed in the armour of God and receive our weapons. Uh, only then are we really ready for war. And as we've seen together, many people, many Christians, go into warfare and try to handle these things when they don't have the armour of God and they don't have the weapons of God. And uh, that's nothing but spiritual suicide. To go into a battle without armour, without battle dress and without weapons, it's spiritual suicide, or at least we're going to get wounded. Now... In this area that we're looking at today, there's two major areas we've sort of uh, put it into. The Christian soldier needs to know how to dress for battle. Uh, that's our armour, how to dress for battle. That's the armour that God's provided for us. And number two, the Christian soldier needs to know how to fight. And that has to do with our weapons. So we need to know how to dress for warfare and we need to know how weapons for warfare. So the first has to do with our armour, the second has to do with our weapons. Now as we look at the epistle to the Ephesian church, it's referred to as a prison, a prison epistle, and that the Apostle Paul was a prisoner in Rome, uh, a prisoner of Rome, yet he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ, but he's a prisoner of Rome in the natural, and... Uh, 
as he's there in the Roman prison, day by day in the changing of the Roman soldiers, he would see the Roman soldier dressed in the particular battle dress or the armor that the Roman soldiers had to wear. And uh, day by day, in fact, some of the commentaries say that Paul probably was actually chained to a Roman soldier, and so he was everywhere he had to go, uh, then to make sure that Paul wouldn't escape, he was chained. So whatever it was, whether he was in prison or chained to a Roman soldier, he would consider the Roman soldier's armor, his battle dress, and uh, undoubtedly he received spiritual lessons that he wrote to the Ephesian believers and to the church as a whole here. And so he spells out for us our Christian armor or the battle dress. Now, very briefly on this one, because we want to look at the armor briefly, I want to spend the most of our time on the weapons. We have four pieces of armor here that Paul uh, tells us to take to ourselves. Four pieces of armor. And all of these the soldier would wear on his body. So I'll just put a, uh, a simple diagram on the overhead here as we look at this. Four pieces of armor or our battle dress. Uh, the Christian soldier's armor and weapons. And our armor or battle dress, the, the four things that are listed here. And all of these things go on the body. Now those of you who have been uh, uh, called up and served in the armed forces, how many have over the years? Armed forces, you know, the first thing when you go, uh, you get called up, you go to the place, the first thing they want to do is this. Okay, get rid of your civvy clothes. How many remember that? You're no longer a civilian. You've got to get rid of your civvy clothes. And now you're saying to them, bunch of legalism, I don't like that. I like my civvy clothes. That's what I'm going to wear, whether you like or not. They say, you're no longer a civilian. You're in the armed forces. Get rid of your civvy clothes. And they give you these... Dirty old khaki, blue orchid or whatever you were in. And say, that's your battle dress. That's the uniform to wear in the armed forces. Then after you get that, then they take you off to the armory, the weaponry and say, these are your weapons of warfare and you have to learn how to fight. So spiritually speaking, we are no longer civvies, civilians. We're in warfare and the Lord has armor for us to wear. He has battle dress and it's provided for us, and uh, also he's ha- he has weapons that he's provided for us. All right, now just very briefly here, Paul says, put on the whole arm of God, the full, the complete arm of God, not just a little bit, but all of it. And uh, as we noticed before in verse 11 and verse 13, uh, first of all he says, take unto you the whole arm of God, then put on the whole arm of God. So you take it, and then you put it on. Now the first... Uh, things we note here is number one we put on the belt or the girdle of truth and uh, this has to do with our loins covering our loins which is the seed of our strength or fasten our belt first that's what we're saying here and there are a number of scriptures that talk about that the, the Lord Jesus said that we were to have our loins girded and uh, uh, be ready to run and having the girdle of truth on us. So first thing is the bowel of truth or the girdle of truth for our loins. And we can just very briefly look at the opposite. Pardon me, uh, preaching two services here. My voice doesn't do too brilliant. So uh, the, the opposite to truth would be lies and unreality. The whole thing has to do with that which is faithfulness and that which is true 
And when Israel came out of Egypt, they had to have their loins girt, ready to depart at the midnight hour. So the first thing we have to take is the belt or the girdle of truth. Think of the opposite. All right, number two, the second piece of uh, armour or battle dress is the breastplate of righteousness. And this has to cover the heart, the lungs or the internal parts of the body. So the breastplate of righteousness and uh, it's the righteousness of character or right standing with God will produce right conduct and the opposite is unrighteousness I like uh, Kenyon's definition of righteousness it's very simple but very brief that righteousness is right standing with God being in right standing with God and also right standing with my brothers and my sisters so the breastplate of righteousness being in right standing so no use going into battle if you don't have your loins girt about with truth if there's ground in you upon which the enemy can work, or you don't have the breastplate on, of righteousness, you're not in right standing with God, or right standing with other brothers and sisters, you're going to lose the battle, you're going to get wounded or whatever. So we have to have this armour on here. Alright, number three, uh, the sandal or the shoes of peace, and this is for our feet. So you'll notice all these four pieces of the armour of God one covers our loins, protects our loins, the seat of our strength. The other protects the heart. The next part protects our feet for enemy traps and booby traps and so forth. Sandals of peace. The opposite to peace would be unrest, distress and conflict. If you're already experiencing that, you're not going to win the battle uh, with, with you know, conflict or, or unrest or, or uh, distress in your own heart. So the shoes of peace on our feet and then number four, the fourth uh, part of the battle dress or our armour is the helmet of salvation and this is for our head. How many know that we not only need our heart saved, we need our head saved? How many know that? How many have head trouble? Come on you lying spirits, how many have head trouble? You see sin entered through the mind. And we're in a tremendous battle for the mind today as all the fiery darts attack the mind and many people who I counsel from time to time say, well, you haven't got the helmet of salvation, you're having head trouble. So thoughts and, and imaginations and reasonings and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, this whole battle for the mind, and that's a really important thing to keep in mind, sin entered through the mind. Satan put the doubt into the mind of the woman and there was a battle for the mind and Satan in that case won. So we need the helmet of salvation. We need our head saved as well as our heart being saved. So they're the four, the four uh, pieces of our armour, our battle dress. I want you to turn over to a verse in John 14 here. John 14. And each of these, uh, as we realise, uh, sort of a message in themselves. The key words here are truth and righteousness and peace and salvation. The belt or the girdle of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the sandal or the shoes of peace and the helmet of salvation. The, the emphasis uh, is not on the words belt or breastplate or sandals or helmet. That's the symbol, that's the illustration. The emphasis is on the words truth, righteousness, peace and salvation. They're the things, the four pieces of the armour that we have to be clothed with or our battle vests as I've got it here. In John 14 and verse 30, I read from uh, the authorised here, I want to quote it from the Amplified, uh, Jesus says to the disciples here, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, 
For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Listen to those words now. So Jesus talking about Satan, warfare, because the prince of this world, uh, Satan came against Jesus. The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. I haven't got the Amplified with me this morning, but I pretty well know it because it's so part of my being and it's helped me over the years as I sort of uh, read this verse. The Amplified puts it this way, and I think it's a very challenging verse, and if you haven't already got it in your Bible, it's well worth uh, writing in your Bible. It puts it this way, the prince or the evil genius of this world is coming, and there, I I have nothing in common. He has nothing in common with me. Now, Jesus is speaking, so think of the language we're using here from Amplified. The prince or the evil genius of this world is coming. And there I have the, he has nothing in common with me. So, you know, challenge yourself. He has nothing in common with me. There is nothing in me that belongs to him. There is no ground in me upon which he can work. Therefore, he has no power over me. That, to me, is such a powerful amplification of that. Let me say it again, break it up. So, the prince of the evil genius of this world is coming has nothing in me. There is nothing in me that belongs to him. I have nothing in common with him. There's no ground in me upon which he can work. And because of that, therefore he has no power over me. And so, you know, we've gone through this. We know what the battle is about, what the enemy is, our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We know we're to be worshipping warriors. Now we're coming to the battle dress. So how can we go and know all this, what the war is about, who our enemies are, worshippers and warriors, and how can we go without the battle dress? But see, the issue is, do we have our loins girt with truth? Do we have our heart protected by the breastplate of righteousness? Do we have our feet, our walk, shod with the shoes of the gospel of peace? Do we have the helmet of salvation on our head? Can we really say, and this is a prayer I often pray because once I saw this amplified translation, Lord, may there be nothing in me that belongs to Satan. Everybody said amen. May there be no ground in me upon which he can work. So, you know, everybody knows I'm a human being by now, and I have my battles and so forth, and I think, oh, Lord, what's happened? Okay, is there ground in me upon which Satan is working? I have nothing in common with him. There's no ground in me upon which he can work. Uh, Nothing in common. You know, that's the issue. Therefore, he has no power over me. And many times Satan has power over Christians because we go into the battle... And uh, these areas are not right. We haven't got the belt of truth on, the breastplate of righteousness, or peace, or salvation, those words. And so uh, the enemy has power over us and he defeats us. And so I think that's a very powerful verse. The prince of this world is coming, has nothing in me. There's nothing in me that belongs to him. I have nothing in common with him. And so many Christians have something in common with Satan and he has power over them. I have nothing in common with him. The world, the flesh, and the devil, therefore he has no power in me. He has power over them because of these very things. And so this is our battle dress. Now, the second thing we want to look at is I want to give you very, very briefly, these are all, as you always know, you never exhaust the word, six uh, weapons that the Lord gives us. So one is our armor, our battle dress, 
And the other is our warfare, our battle weapons, or the weapons of our warfare. Let's turn back to the Corinthians passage on the weapons now, uh, briefly looking at the armour and now the weapons. For Paul says, though we walk, 2 Corinthians 10, I'm back in. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And that corresponds with Ephesians. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We, we walk in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. So we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and wicked spirits in high places. So the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. When we go back to the picture we've been looking at, of the Old Testament Israel, their weapons were carnal. They used swords and bows and arrows and horses and chariots with swords in their chariot wheels to cut down the enemy. They used sling stones. All their weapons were carnal material weapons, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're spiritual weapons and they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, the helmet of salvation, the weapons of our warfare, not carnal but mighty through God. Number one, and we can just touch on these briefly, but I'd like to encourage you to take, take them down. So we receive our armour, our battle dress, now we receive our battle weapons for warfare. So number one, the first weapon the Lord has given us is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And Paul refers to that in the Ephesian passage. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So there's no mistaking the, uh, the sword, it's the Word of God. And you'll notice the connection there, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. The Word of God. The Word and the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. If you take the Word out of the Spirit's hand, He has no sword. The Holy Spirit feels most comfortable with the Word because the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. So you take the Word away, what has the Spirit got? The Spirit works with the Word. The Spirit, the Spirit takes the Word. That's His sword. So the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. The Spirit is comfortable with the Word. He works with the Word. So the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And uh, I think one of the, well, the greatest example of this is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He was the Word made flesh. And when he, after being water baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, he's driven into the wilderness to be tested and tried and tempted of the devil. What does the Word do? Though he is the Word personified, the living Word, the Word made flesh, when the devil came to him with temptation in warfare and the wilderness, that was his wilderness. Israel failed in the wilderness over 40 years. Jesus conquered in the wilderness over 40 days because... When the enemy came with the temptation, over and over again, Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. So if the Word made flesh, the living Word, needed to use the written Word, how much more do you and I need to, re to, to use the written Word? Amen? It is written. So here's Jesus, the Word made flesh. But he overcame principalities and powers and said, it is written. And when the devil misquoted the Word, Jesus knew the word enough and said, it is written. And so, saints, this is our first master weapon, the word of God. So if we're going to be able to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the word, we're going to have to get to know the word, read the word, study the word, get the word into, brainwash yourself with the word. Can we say amen this morning? It's the sword of the Spirit. And you know pretty well every cell in my body is a, word of, uh, a verse of Scripture. 
I brainwashed myself with this word. I talk in tongues and talk in my sleep over the word. My wife woke up last night talking in tongues. I wonder what the noise was going on in the house. She's praying for the meeting this morning. It's praying in the spirit. But the sword of the spirit, which is the word. And so if you don't read the word on a daily basis, get the word into you, you're not going to have a very sharp sword. It is written. So that's our weapon. Weapon number one. Number two, the second uh, uh, weapon he's given us is the shield of faith. After saying all these things, he says, above all, taking the shield of faith. Apparently, uh, some of the shields that the Roman soldiers used for protection uh, practically covered the whole body. And so, you know, the shield protects the heart and the lungs and the other vital organs of the body from the darts of the enemy. So the shield is for defense. So the shield of faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith. And, you know, we... We are, we are living in such an unbelieving society. You know, we come along to the house of the Lord on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and during the week, and where our faith is encouraged because faith comes, faith is created by hearing the word, but we go out into our whole world system and that whole spirit of unbelief. I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I don't believe. I don't believe. That whole spirit of unbelief continually attacking our faith. So we have to have the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. That's the whole point. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Let me read off my notes here. In the Roman sieges, they came with burning torches and fire darts and the entire line of the Roman soldiers was illumined by the blaze as they advanced. So just picture that. The Roman soldiers out here burning torches and uh, they would have these fiery darts and dip them in tar or, or uh, pitch of some sort and light them on fire and then they would shoot these flaming darts, these fiery darts to burn down the houses, burn down towns and so forth, kill the enemy. So he says, above all, taking the shield of faith. Uh, a scripture in Isaiah 21 says, we are to take the shield and anoint the shield. To keep the shield uh, uh, flexible and not get hard and dry and brittle and cracked where the fiery darts could break through. So the shield of faith, so we have to have that continually with the unbelief and the spirit of unbelief and the fiery darts that come at us continually. Everybody said amen. All right, the shield of faith. Number three, the third weapon we have is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't you put down a couple of scriptures here. I have a number, as I said, this whole word in itself. But uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 17. Mark 16, verse 17. Proverbs 18, verse 10. Proverbs 18, verse 10. And John's Gospel chapter uh, 16. John 16, verses 23 to 24. So taking the name, when the Lord Jesus said to the disciples, up to this time you've asked nothing in my name, but now I tell you, ask the Father in my name. Amplified brings it out, presenting all I am, the name of the burning bush, presenting all I am. So ask the Father and keep on asking the Father in my name, presenting all I am. And whatever you ask the Father, he will give it to you. So the name of Jesus is not just a magic word on our lips. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ is a powerful weapon. Everybody said amen. 
You just, uh, probably one of the great illustrations of this is David and Goliath. David is going out to warfare. The Israelites are in warfare with the Philistines. And then here's this incredible Hulk. Six. He's uh, stamped with the number six cubits high and his shear weighs 600 and his spear weighs six and he's just stamped with 666 this guy is. So uh, David comes out against him and first of all, you know, he comes to Saul and Saul says, well, put my armor on. So poor little David, he's struggling there, this little shepherd boy with all Saul's heavy armor on and Saul's sitting under the pomegranate tree sucking figs uh, instead of being in the battle. And David said, look, I haven't proved this stuff, you know. We have to wear our own armor. So he says, you know, get rid of it. So what does David do? You know what armor he's got? We're talking about the weapons of our warfare, not calm, but mighty through God. He has the name of the Lord. And the Bible says in Proverbs 18, verse 10, the scripture I gave you, the name of the Lord is what? A strong tower. What's the rest of the verse? The righteous runneth into it and is safe. So David says, I've got my armor, the name of the Lord. So he runs into the name and he jumps inside the tower. And so he goes out to Goliath and he says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield, but I come to you, how? In the name. And you see, Goliath couldn't see the name. And I said that purposely for those of you who understand he couldn't see the name. All he could see was Goliath, uh, David, little shepherd boy, little pipsqueak. Huh? He says, I'll tear you from limb to limb and I'll give you flesh to the birds of the air. Chuck you out for McDonald's hamburger. Huh? Huh? See, David said, I come to you in the name of Jehovah of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defy. He used the name of the Lord. It's a powerful weapon, saints. Hallelujah. When I was younger, I used to be quite a poet. And I remember making a poem up about this. And one verse goes like this. Young David slipped down to the side of the brook. And from it, five small stones he took. He put one in his sling and he let the stone fly and hit the old sinner right over the eye. (laughs) Want to buy my book of poems? All right, number four, another powerful weapon is the blood of Jesus. You can put down Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. And by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto death. Let me say something quickly here. The blood is not for Satan. Revelation 12, 11, that is. They overcome him. That's the accused of the brethren. Satan, the old serpent, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. The blood is not for Satan. Those of us who come from a little bit of old Pentecostal cliches, we say, oh, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, and plead the blood against Satan. It might shock you. The blood is not for Satan. The blood is for us. The name is for Satan. You see, Jesus said, in my name they shall cast out devils. He didn't say, in my blood they'll cast out devils. No one upset your theology, but I do. Because we want to buy it. You see, the blood is to make sure we are clean. So that the accuser can't point the finger and here we are in warfare and the devil can say, well, look at the sins in your life. Look at this. Look at this. And the accuser, and we come under guilt because the blood hasn't cleansed us. 
And you see, the secret of the blood in all of our lives is 1 John 1, 6, which we all know. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And what happens? The blood of Jesus, and, the, and the, uh, I believe it's uh, uh, the Greek word there is present continuous tense, the blood of Jesus cleanses and goes on cleansing us from all sin. So as I'm walking in the light as he is in the light, the blood is cleansing me. It's cleansing me now. It's cleansing you now. Saints, do you believe that this morning? So the blood goes on cleansing 24 hours a day as I'm walking in the light. The only thing that stops the blood working in our life is darkness. If, you see, the blood only works in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood cleanses. The blood works in the light. But when a, when a Christian gets into darkness, it negates the power of the blood. So how, what's the sense of going fighting Satan? I rebuke you, Satan, plead the blood. And the devil says, you can plead the blood all you want to. You need to get cleansed. So the blood is not for Satan. The blood is for us. Everybody understand what I'm saying? So I say, Father, cleanse me in your blood. Now I come against you in the name of the Lord. The name is for Satan. The blood is for us. Very important. A powerful weapon. A lot could be said on that. Number five. The fifth weapon that the Lord has given us out of his army, the Lord has opened his army, he's brought forth the weapons of his indignation. The fifth weapon is the Holy Spirit, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just put down 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. 1 John 4, 17. And this verse tells us, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do we believe that this morning? The more I looked at this, saints, and don't take in any measure of condemnation. There's really no excuse for any Christian not being a victorious Christian. Find me an excuse, a biblical one. There's no excuse for any of us, including myself, there's no excuse for not being a victorious Christian because the Lord has provided all the weapons, all the war, the armour and the weapons. He's provided them all on his terms and say, look, he can be a victorious Christian on this. Everybody said, Amen. So the Holy Spirit, Christ in you, and the Holy Spirit is greater than every evil spirit, every other spirit in the world. Holy Spirit's greater. And then number six, prayer and watchfulness. And Paul ends up in that Ephesian passage, uh, the emphasis on prayer, and it's often, often neglected here. Ephesians chapter six, praying always. So after going through, stand, stand, withstand, having done all the stand, uh, and praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit, supplication in the Spirit, and watching. So remember Gideon's army, those who went down, so many thousand were not watching the enemy, but 300 lapped the water uh, with their tongue like a dog. They were watching. So praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So prayer and watchfulness. It begins with the Word and ends with prayer. Last thing I need to say as our time is up here, that with the weapons that the Lord has given us, the armour, the battle dress, you'll notice all of this is offensive, defensive. It's to face the enemy. He has provided nothing for our back. So instead of running from the enemy and getting it in the back, we have to face the enemy. Stand, withstand, stand therefore, and having done all, stand. So he hasn't provided anything for our back. We are to face the enemy. 
And I believe God wants us to be victorious Christians. And I believe if we take the armour of God and the weapons of God, as I said, there's really no biblical excuse for not being a victorious Christian and winning in this war. Everybody said Amen. God bless you. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.